VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. Greetings to all of my listeners. I so much appreciate your great support and how you've really helped me help other people with disabilities. Today we have a really special guest. When I first heard about this show, I was immediately supportive of wanting to have this guest on. To me, it is really is a great honor to have Jessica Gogan, the Assistant Director for Education and Interpretation for the Andy Warhol Museum in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And why I was so interested in this is she is going to be discussing one of the current exhibitions, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race, which this is an exhibition that really delves into and explores the Holocaust roots in the horror of eugenics, viewed then as some type of science and as all of my listeners know. I have so often had guests on, including the great author Edwin Black, to talk about eugenics and, and, and really how this evolved into the horror of the Holocaust. So this show right now is at the Andy Warhol Museum through March 18th, 2007. And Jessica, we're so delighted to have you as a guest. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's glad to be here. Jessica, for our listeners throughout the world, how and when did you first join the Andy Warhol Museum? Well, I've been here almost 10 years now. It'll be 10 years in March, and uh, so I've been here for quite some time, and um, it's been a really great opportunity for me to lead the education department and to do a wide variety of different programs and projects. And uh, this particular one is one of many initiatives that we've done really dealing with difficult and challenging issues that the museum really sees itself as a forum for. Yeah, and I feel like we have a real treasure in Pittsburgh with the Andy Warhol Museum. I really do, so I'm, I'm really glad that that's where the exhibition uh, is. And I was looking through your background, Jessica, and you have a very, very, very impressive academic background with master's degrees from Trinity in Ireland and your education in France. How were we so lucky to get you to come to the United States? That's my question. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I suppose life's journeys takes you in wonderful and unexpected places in many instances. And um, I grew up in Ireland and went to university in Ireland at Trinity College in Dublin and spent some time um, studying and researching in, in France. And I actually um, sort of fell in love and met a Canadian, in fact, who brought me to Canada. And um, so I spent many years in Canada working actually at the Arc of Ontario in Toronto. And um, uh, about nine years or so ago, uh, the opportunity to sort of direct the education department here at the museum, the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, came up, and I really thought it was a wonderful opportunity. I'm very interested and fascinated in how museums can play a significant role in their communities and how they can be a place to really sort of engage in civic issues, not only just to be about their civic sense of their buildings and architecture, but to really kind of play a significant civic function. And I think it's um, a great opportunity for a museum like the Warhol Museum in a city like Pittsburgh to sort of play a significant role 
And so that was really exciting for me to be able to take on that opportunity. Yes, and you know what? Just last week we had Sula Antonio, the director, executive director of uh, VSA on our show. And, of course, they specialize in bringing art uh, from artists with disabilities you know, to the rest of the world and uh, have exhibits at the Smithsonian. And they were founded by uh, President John F. Kennedy's sister many, many years ago. And <clears throat> that's one of the things that we talked about, how art has such an important role, you know, in our community. And really, this is an example of what we're talking about right now. So, unfortunately, this is a very sober topic. I will warn our listeners um, that, you know, I've t- we have discussed this topic many times on my radio show uh, because, as you know, with the Holocaust in 1939, the very first group of people that were exterminated were by the Nazis were people with disabilities, which is why, you know, um, Steven Spielberg always says we have to remember what happened so that this never can happen again. And that's why I think this is so important. Uh, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race, um, tell us what made the Warhol Museum select this exhibition. And if you don't mind sharing with us, Jessica, what has been the reaction of people who have attended the museums and, you know, witnessing and seeing this? Well, um, the exhibition itself was actually organized by the United States Memorial Holocaust Museum in D.C., and the exhibition was in D.C. for quite some time, um, about a year or so ago, and they decided with the huge impact that the exhibition had there that they were going to do a traveling version of this particular exhibition. And, in fact, we are the first U.S. venue of the traveling show. In fact, we're the only art museum on the tour, which is also interesting as well. And, you know, it might seem somewhat unusual for an art museum to take on such a perhaps might, what might be seen as a more historical exhibition in many ways and an exhibition that's specific and in some ways developed by the Holocaust Museum. Yet the exhibition deals with so many different issues in history um, but also points to kind of issues in the present that enable us to really think about critical issues today. While we may kind of look back at this moment in history and recoil in horror, I think it actually begs the question of, you know, how are we being socially responsible today? How are we dealing with critical issues today? Are we sort of, what are we turning our heads away from now? Because I think when we look back at this exhibition, we see how, you know, murder essentially was justified and legitimized in the name of science. I mean, eugenics essentially is the science of good birth and really came was sort of underlining the notion that there were, in essence, supposedly disposable populations. I mean, people believe this stuff, and it's kind of hard to imagine that that could happen. And yet, at that moment in time, through propaganda and legal issues and scientific, you know, um, legitimization, we ended up having um, a whole community essentially support these so-called euthanasia killings. 
And it's really horrific for us to kind of imagine that. And I think um, the Warhol Museum is really sees itself as being a kind of forum for contemporary issues and dealing with contemporary culture, both art and, and, and critical issues that we deal with in our day-to-day lives, and also to provide an opportunity to maybe frame them and to look at them in more depth or to really give people an opportunity to explore them and get more information, to look back at history, to learn um, a present. Warhol was an artist who was very much engaged in the kind of contemporary of his time, very much wrapped into the sense of of relevant and critical issues, whether they be Marilyn Monroe or Coca-Cola or electric chairs. I mean, his art ran the gamut of reflecting the world around him. And I think the museum itself sees it as an opportunity to be as perhaps provocative as Warhol was in his practice, um, but also to combine that with a sense of, you know, civic responsibility of a museum, of an institution. And more and more, I think, in the 21st century, you know, museums and art museums as well are really looking to kind of be provocative to provide a place to really question and challenge, you know, existing ideologies and taxonomies and the way things think, and then also to provide an opportunity to really look at things in history and to give them some sense of what what's important for us now as we look at this. And I think we often, as you were saying at the beginning of the show, you know, we want to ensure that this never happens again. So in that sense of what can we learn from history is hopefully a sense of questioning in the present. And um, people, people that have been at the museum, how have they reacted to this? Well, I think the reaction people have, you know, are very sort of um, actually just talking with some of my staff, you know, uh, this morning we have a number of people delivering tours to middle and high school students throughout the duration of the exhibition, and they were talking about some of the students crying just directly after going through the exhibition, and I think many people have been really impacted by seeing this exhibition. You know, many of my listeners, uh, knowing that you have this at the Warhol Museum, um, do you think, ask this question, do you, don't you think this also, uh, remember how you were saying the museum does a civic duty? You know, we have those that have written books about denying the Holocaust, people that have, you know, been speaking up about denying the Holocaust. So, you know, here again is another way that you're doing a really wonderful service to, to the community by, through art, providing history. Right, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes, you know, it's difficult to look back at these moments and these chapters and, you know, in history, but it's, I think, really important. I think it helps us learn and uh, really kind of acknowledge and hopefully be able to sort of continue to try to build, you know, better um, and more engaged, more civically responsible societies. And, you know, you have to go see this exhibit, and you have to understand this, because as I said earlier, the first group exterminated in Germany by the Nazis were people with disabilities. What eugenics was, as Jessica is mentioning, is a search for, in their mind, the perfect race, the master race. And, unfortunately, uh, those who were Jewish, those who were people with disabilities, were considered inferior, the feeble, the weak, and, you know, all of this work that was done 
was just unbelievably horrific where children were, you know, in mass numbers killed because they had, a, in, in the words of the uh, Nazis, a birth defect, something that made them feeble. But, you know, when you come to, the, to today and you think about genetic testing um, and the search for having that perfect human being, you know, it reminds us why we have to be careful what road we're going down. So I think it is very important, and I'm also happy to hear you had a lot of schools going through. Is this colleges and high schools, Jessica? Um, it's actually mostly high schools, some middle schools, but it's mostly high schools. And actually we're working with the um, Holocaust Center here in Pittsburgh and um, to um, deliver a program. Essentially we're pretty booked, which is really wonderful as well to sort of sense that a lot of teachers and students are really interested in coming here to see the exhibition. But we're... Um, presenting a program in collaboration with the Holocaust uh, Center here in Pittsburgh to really kind of, you know, explore the themes of the exhibition and to sort of look at these kinds of ideas. And they have every year a um, competition that they engage students in, a kind of creative art and writing competition where they encourage students to, you know, reflect on the issues of the Holocaust. Um, and this year, they're one of the things they're really trying to emphasize is the notion of the diversity of victim groups during the Holocaust. That sometimes there's a perception that the Holocaust only um, was, you know, killing Jewish people, and very, very importantly, it's important to remember that it's a vast, you know, number of different minorities, including, as you were saying earlier, people with disabilities and children. And I think this is something that's really important to emphasize to people. I do too. I, I think it's important to remember that to them, different covered many different areas, not just one. Mm-hmm. Um, a question I had from someone in Pittsburgh that emailed to us is that if someone comes to the museum uh, and the person is deaf, do you have sign language interpreters, or how do you explain this to them when they're going through the museum? Well, the exhibition itself is, um, um, you know, there's a lot of text material. Um, that's available. So that's, you know, one benefit is that it's very rich in um, information delivery. And we have a number of different um, installations throughout the museum that are contextualizing different themes of um, the exhibition in relationship to Warhol's work. For example, we have something on looking at Warhol's series of electric chair paintings and prints where we're looking at issues of social responsibility. Here, he's an artist that's exploring issues of social responsibility in in his work and then engaging and asking other people to reflect on that, too. And we've got a number of different installations. One is actually an installation, a series of portraits did, which is 10 um, uh, great Jews of the 20th century, including Gertrude Stein and George Gershwin, and there are a whole series of portraits with sort of material available. So in each kind of case, there's a lot of resource material available for people to engage in. We don't have regular um, uh, sign language tours, but we will be throughout the exhibition having a number of different programs where there will be sign language and variety of different things of that nature. Well, that's good because with the text itself explanatory yeah that's good that's very good and when when are you open what are your hours at the warhol museum we're open um tuesday through sunday uh from uh 10 to 5 and on friday we're open uh till 10 o'clock at night and on saturday evenings till 9 
Saturday till 9. Okay, we're talking to Jessica Gogan, the Assistant Director for Education Interpretation from the Andy Warhol Museum, about their new exhibition, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race. We'll be right back after this break to talk more to Jessica. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. VoiceAmerica.com, your news talk information radio network. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives. But too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists, and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show, and we're talking to Jessica Gogan, the Assistant Director for Education and Interpretation at the Andy Warhol Museum, about their current exhibition, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race. This was first at the United States uh, Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., for quite a time period, and we are in Pittsburgh at the Andy Warhol Museum, the first venue for this tour of this exhibition, which I think everyone should go see because, as I've mentioned before, it reminds us of what can happen, you know, when we, too, want the perfect race. And I was wondering, uh, Jessica, especially with my listeners on this show today, as I've mentioned several times, times here, people with disabilities were the first to be um, 
executed or exterminated and then were included ongoing in a, with, of course, Jewish people and, and other groups that were picked out, uh, such as, you know, people who were gay and the gypsies and many other groups. Is, is it clear in your exhibition about the German children and how they were the first to be executed during the Holocaust? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think um, many people find that to be one of the most powerful parts of the exhibition because it's been set up in such a way that talks about um, the specific clinics that uh, essentially were involved in these so-called euthanasia killings and talking a little bit about some of the doctors that were involved and um, talking about the notion that almost over 5,000 children were murdered. And it gives you some images. It maybe isolates 10 images that in a very kind of dramatic way, but I think importantly so, that gives you images of these children and, and who they were and their names. And I think it's very powerful because it really kind of gives you such a sense of the humanity and it, it's really hard to even imagine that this could be possible. There's a small video, in fact, of one of the doctors holding a little baby who actually has rickets and I think it's just, it's just, it, it's, it's the, the, the sort of tenderness of the touch and then to think that that's, you know, being totally undermined is just, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching. It is and always will be hard to understand how any person, any normal person could participate in such a terrible thing. But, you know, they believed that through eliminating, uh, through death, through murder, children with disabilities, that they were helping to purify their race. And, and, you know, when people go through the museum, I'm sure they asked your staff this question, how, how, how was that possible? You know, what do you think about that, Jessica, when someone asks you that question? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to understand. And I think, you know, what we try to do in some of our tours with our high school students is to try to set the stage a little bit in the context of, you know, the Weimar Republic, Germany after World War One, and the evolution of the Nazi era and how some of these things began to be adopted because, of course, eugenics was seen to be initiated in the United States as a form of research, but it, it got to a certain point in the United States in the 20s with some cases of sterilization in a variety of different states. One famous case in instance is the 1927 sterilization of Carrie Buck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one example. And um, so because she was so called feeble-minded. And so I think the thing, you know, and then how it comes then to be translated into the Nazi context and taken to such extremes. And I think, you know, this is a, a huge puzzle for people. And I think it's a huge puzzle, you know, still when we think about how were doctors and nurses, doctors who've taken in many ways what we understand to be the Hippocratic Oath, a sense of just complete loyalty to wanting to do well by one's patient. How were you able to kind of, you know, bring that value to bear with this other kind of value? And I think, you know, these are sort of very significant psychological questions, and I think we've got lots of, you know, unanswered, you know, issues here, but it's certainly very hard to understand. 
it is very hard to understand, and it always will be very hard to understand. But, you know, what you're describing is absolutely accurate. As a matter of fact, as I mentioned earlier, Edwin Black was on our radio show and talked about his book, War Against the Week, and discussed that Carrie Buck case. And, you know, even when he was talking about the people that were sterilized in the United States, um, you know, you tell the story to a lot of people, and, like, they're totally shocked. They never knew that went on. Uh, but it did go on, and there were very well-meaning, uh, educated people that we all, you know, look up to, including Oliver Wendell Holmes, who made the comment, you know, in reference to this case, two generations of imbeciles are enough. So, you know, that that is hard to understand, but that's see why I think this exhibition is so important. Because if we could have educated Americans that we all look up to in our history books who participated in this, you know, then you have to wonder how we have to be careful with current issues going on as relates to disability. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, um, you know, certainly early parts of eugenic research was funded by the Carnegie Institute and Rockefeller Foundation. I mean, there's many different kinds of post, you know, early 20th century, post, you know, World War One areas where this research was being looked at and supported and then obviously we would question and radically question that and certainly the support for this kind of dwindled you know dwindled considerably in the late 20s and early 30s in the United States and then of course it has this terrible impact in Nazi Germany but you're absolutely right i think the question that should be on everybody's minds one would hope after seeing something like this is that how do things get to such a point and then you know here's essentially that what you have is government sanctioned killing and so uh, hopefully that people then can look at our own sort of institutions and, and, and government constructs and ask questions of them in terms of you know, what is it that maybe, you know, I'm not paying attention to today that I may be imagining is um, is perfectly okay that maybe a future generation might recoil at, you know? I think it sort of asks us to just be aware. That's right, such as being told if your child has Down syndrome, you should abort the child. I mean, I can think of many examples that really relate back to this, including genetic testing and what can happen to people as that, becomes part of health care reform. So, you know, that is why all of this is important. And if you're listening to the show, you're a person with a disability, believe me, you need to see this exhibition. You need to think about these things because they will and can impact what happens to you. Uh, Jessica, I noticed you mentioned that if you go through the exhibition and you're a person who is deaf, that there's enough rich text that you will know what's going on. I'm, I, I wondered if you would not mind sharing with our listeners the different forms of art used in this exhibition. Well, in fact, in, if we want to talk about, I suppose, art as we are most familiar with it, the exhibition really doesn't um, show any artworks per se. Um, however, it being in the context of an art museum and the context of the Warhol Museum, we wanted to reflect on some of the themes and ask questions that the exhibition raised in relationship to Warhol's work. And so, for example, one of the questions that we ask in looking at a, a gallery of Warhol's work featuring Elizabeth Taylor and Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe 
is a notion of where do we get our values, where do our values come from, and looking at the notion of um, icons in terms of popular um, culture and how do we sort of get these ideas and notions of ideals and perfection, where do they come from, and that's why we're asking these questions in relationship with Warhol's work. And we're also, as I mentioned earlier, talking about um, this idea of um, excellence is ethic. I think one of the ways to, many ways, fight some of the sort of biases and bigotries is often being um, the excellent self that you are who you are and being fully who you are. And that's one of the kind of themes that we use to talk about this series of portraits Warhol did, this great Jews of the 20th century. You know, all people that's they may have in different ways struggled against different aspects of bias and bigotry, but they were very much, you know, very strong. Gertrude Stein said, you know, let me listen to me, not to them. And so these are kinds of things that we try to bring up in the context of our installation. And I also mentioned earlier, we have Warhol did a series of um, uh, electric chairs. In fact, it was a, a portrait um, an image, in fact, of a famous electric chair from Sing Sing Prison in New York that actually killed the Rosenbergs in 1953. And so this was actually then the image, the source image Warhol used to create his series of works. And they're very powerful works. They're these the single chair that's empty in a chamber, and they're very brightly colored. So on one level, you see this awful um, object of death in the midst of this bright color, and it's really hard to kind of, you know, relate to this, you know, why is he making such an object so beautiful and trying to understand and so it brings up a lot of questions and one sometimes wonders, you know, is this, um, you know, what's his, what's his role in relationship to that and that's another um, project that we refer to. Oh, well that is so exciting and we'll talk more about this as soon as we come back. If you just tuned in. We have as our guest today Jessica Gogan, Assistant Director for Education and Interpretation at the Andy Warhol Museum, talking about their exhibition, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race. We'll be right back. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We're coming right back. From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, 
sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on VoiceAmerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. We're talking to Jessica Gogan, the Assistant Director for Education and Interpretation for the Andy Warhol Museum, about the exhibition, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race. And before we went to break, we were talking about the various forms of art used in this exhibition. And as Jessica was explaining, it is not artwork as you would think of per se, it is a combination of photographs, text, and I think you mentioned there's some videos also? That's correct, yes. And assimilated in such a way at the Warhol Museum to really also make you think about, you know, what is the connection, what is the responsibility, uh, what is the social comment here. So I, I think that is, you know, really outstanding. And I did want to ask you a question from one of the uh Listeners, Jessica, and that is, uh, what is your opinion of the schools across the United States that have eliminated art at the schools? Well, that's a huge question, and I think, obviously, if you ask someone who's an art educator, an art lover, that's obviously something that I don't, you know, agree with at all. And unfortunately, I think, in fact, we're at a critical moment and critical juncture where art can really be a central way to, in fact, lead curriculum and lead an interdisciplinary thinking and new ways of, of learning at moments when really we're struggling to try to find new ways to motivate students and new ways to um, engage and to deal with really 21st century issues. We need to kind of come up with some new ways of thinking about curriculum and engagement and how we learn and the environments we learn in and um, dealing with all sorts of different struggles. So I think it's really unfortunate that, you know, we're, and the arts are often in such a case where we're constantly trying to justify our own existence and our funding and how often research continually shows how children that work and are doing work within the arts are doing better in in other subjects. It's pretty consistent across the board, whether it's in after-school programs or whether it's in their own curriculum. And so it's really unfortunate that we're often finding ourselves in this position. 
And I would also mention, if you listened to the show last week with Sula Antonio from VSA Arts, we did discuss this topic, um, and specifically toward people with disabilities and children with disabilities, and how you know often it is that a child with a disability is able to really express themselves through art, and how art in general, no matter if you have a disability or not, uh, so much helps the creative process and creative thinking. And I agree completely. I think that you know, it, I think that we need to stop looking at that as some category that can be easily erased and realize how important it is because without that I don't really feel you get the full education. So that's why I think that, you know, here's a good example of what they're doing at the Andy Warhol Museum that to me is so important and so helpful. Um, I, I, I looked at the exhibition, Jessica, and I read the quote that states, our starting point is not the individual, and we do not subscribe to the view that one should feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, or clothe the naked. Our objectives are entirely different. We must have a healthy people to prevail in the world, said Joseph Goebbels, Minister of Propaganda, in 1938. And to me, just that one quote alone sums up the horror of what happened you know, with the Holocaust and with eugenics um, and what is depicted in this uh, exhibition. And I wanted to ask you, why do you think it is so important to show this as a form of art to outside people? Yeah, the quote certainly gives you a chill, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, I think that that's, it's, it's really quite horrific. I, I think that... Um, you know, our sense of showing this exhibition, and we don't necessarily show it or sort of purport that it's a form of art, but I think when we bring it into an art museum, obviously within an art museum we're used to this notion of, of looking, of really kind of focusing, of paying attention carefully to to the visual, to uh, looking in that sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why bringing a show like this to the Warhol Museum, to a place where one looks, one frames, one takes a moment to stop, to think, to engage, um, that that really is really what we're trying to do, is to sort of use, to explore this time and this moment in history, uh, to learn about it, to understand it, to become more fully knowledgeable of the past so that we can become more informed in the present, but then to really sort of take a step back and also sort of look at our own worlds, our own lives, our own institutions, as I was saying earlier, our own context. You know, what do we have to learn here? Well, and you know what? When I was in New York City, um, walking through the building that's across the street from uh, where the 9-11 event occurred, they had a new art exhibit just showing drawers from cupboards, you know, that had been, or desks that had been left behind, you know, where people had pulled all of them out because of Katrina in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And as you walk through there and you see one after the next, after the next, after the next, you almost don't have to say anything mm -hmm. to get the feeling of desperation, frustration, and grief that was, you know, and loss that was caused from this. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that you were looking at a painting. Now, you were looking at objects, mm -hmm. but it still was a form of art. And right, and I think that certainly, I mean, I think some of the, I 
suppose one might call different art strategies um, have certainly been used in different, you know, whether it's museums in different contexts to try to draw attention to issues. And I, as you were talking about that, it reminds me very much of the Holocaust Museum in D.C. I'm sure many of you lis- listeners may have had an opportunity to see this and hopefully will eventually do so at one point. If not, um, is this sort of point in the museum which just has this massive pile of shoes. Mm-hmm. And you just stand there and you just, you know, you put your hand to your heart and you just, you, it, it, there's something about the collective massing of objects together that just really kind of all of a sudden underlines to you the kind of awfulness of this moment, that all these people are all gone and that this is what happened and that these are some thin- simple things of how you can sh- you can really reflect and show these these themes and you know that sort of sense of of collectivity uh, as you were just describing in terms of um, these sort of masses of drawers up, upturned you know where sort of people kind of left in a hurry or just mm-hmm. you know what what is it what contain what's at one point contained a life mm-hmm. yeah it's very powerful as you just described with the shoes very very powerful and and I think that is you know the feeling you'll get when you uh, go to the Warhol Museum and look at these photographs and the text and the videos it's just horrifying especially the part with the children it just really is um, hard to see yet important to see you know that's the only way that I can describe it mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to ask you now when you first decided to do this you know, what was the reaction from the community? You know, were there people that said, hey, why are you having this at the Andy Warhol Museum versus, as you mentioned before, at a his- history, you know, uh, museum or uh, site? I mean, what was the reaction? Well, it's, it's interesting that you should say that I don't think we, uh, you know, I think very people are very positive, and I think in many instances people sort of would see us, and over the past few years we've kind of carved out a role for ourselves in the community of dealing with difficult and challenging issues. And a number of years ago, in fact, um, in 2001, we presented an exhibition called Without Sanctuary, Lynching Photography in America, and this actually presented images of lynching um, of um, mostly African-American men, but also other minorities, women and children throughout the U.S. and had actually from the sort of late 19th century up until the 1960s with kind of these sort of figures of crowds of white, often white onlookers mostly, in fact, looking at, at these images of lynching and smiling. And, you know, they were horrific and very difficult for people to actually, you know, think about and imagine, you know, how could you just sort of look on at something like this? And, you know, we developed an entire project around this exhibition, working very closely with the community on different, you know, displays and installations and dialogue programs and outreach initiatives and all of those kinds of different things to really kind of bring um, this moment in history to the present. And in fact, I know you were just mentioning 9-11. The exhibition opened 
directly 10 days after 9-11, and we were very, very unsure of how people were going to sort of engage or receive this at all. But in fact, we found that at a kind of very vulnerable moment in time, people really needed to come to the museum to really kind of engage and, and, and think about and just look back at a moment, you know, in our own history that was, you know, reprehensible in many ways and needed to be really looked at. And so I think that from that you know moment on, as well as in previous instances, we've been dealing with political, challenging, difficult issues, and we've consistently done that at the museum. And so I think in many ways people kind of look to us in some instances to be the place to maybe bring some of these kinds of discussions to. Yeah, you know what? I think that's awesome. I think that is really great that you're doing that. Jessica, for a moment, if we can take a break here. The website for the Warhol Museum is what? It's www.warhol.org. All right. And does that have information about this exhibition? It does indeed, yes. Okay, warholmuseum.org. And once again, uh, the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the, the uh, hours are? It's 10 to 5 from Tuesday through Sunday, and we're open late on Friday till 10 and on Saturday till 9, just for the duration of this exhibition. All right, that's good. And so if anyone has any questions about this, can they find that out by going to the website? Yes, indeed. All right, and with that, we'll be right back to close the show with our guest, Jessica Gogan, Assistant Director for Education and Interpretation for the Andy Warhol Museum. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Conversation at a click of a mouse, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. 
Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists, and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We've been talking to Jessica Gogan, the Assistant Director for Education and Interpretation at the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, about the current exhibition, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race. And that will be at the Warhol Museum through March 18th of this year and is you know currently there right now. Don't miss it. It will have a major impact on you. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, Jessica, what impacted you the most from this exhibition? Well, I think there's so many different things that really affected me and I, I feel sort of touched by. I think one of the things that I really continually think about is this idea of this was a moment in time when, you know, murder was legitimized in the name of science. And I can't help feeling kind of always sort of wanting to be sort of somewhat frightened and, you know, aware of thinking, you know, what is legitimized in the name of science today? You know, what are the kinds of, you know, things that we believe and seemingly don't question um, in our current environments and and what do we really need to think about more carefully and thoughtfully um, in, in in the 21st century? And how about your staff? What would you say impacted them the most? Well, I think everybody has, you know, a different kind of, you know, um, feel on different issues. I mean, somebody was just talking about, you know, um, uh, a nephew of theirs who has autism and just feeling so deeply impacted, you know, and thinking about, my goodness, you know, he might have been killed, you know, at another moment, another time in history. And I think that's just so you know, impactful for someone to sort of feel that and think about that, you know. And um, other people have been talking a lot about, you know, um, issues of that, you know, governmental kind of, you know, responsibility and awareness. Many of the high school students that we talk with are really concerned with issues in Darfur, for example, Mm -hmm. a contemporary genocide Mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing as individuals and as a nation to kind of respond to that now? You know, here's an opportunity for action. You know, what are we doing? You know, 
and there's many different things and themes that come up. You know, I think you know some of the current issues around genetic testing and being connected and, and thoughtful about that are themes and ideas that continually come up too. And learning more about that history um, is also a very significant sort of sense of people going, "Oh, I never knew. I never knew. I never knew." So I think I, it, it, is, it, it impacts people on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. You know, and I am one, since I am a woman with epilepsy and a hearing loss, but specifically because of the epilepsy, that I know if I had lived during that time, I too would have been included in the, this group that was exterminated. And, you know, when you think about that, it's just so horrifying uh, to think about, but it is the reality. So, you know, that's why I always say it is so important, you know, to always remember history so that history does not come forward uh, again. But I'm sure it does impact everyone in a different way when they go through this show because I, I know in my case, if you're a person with a disability, that is one of the first things you're going to think about is this would have been me. Right. And also remembering that, boy, talk about we're worried today about attitudinal barriers. Imagine, no wonder we have attitudinal barriers. If there was a time that people believed uh, due to being a master race that people with disabilities should, you know, have been murdered. So horrifying to think about. Absolutely. So horrifying. So, Jessica, what do you have to say to people that are in this group called Deniers of the Holocaust? Well, I think that, you know, it's it's really kind of hard to imagine that given all of the vast amounts of evidence and documentation that suggests otherwise and that clearly proves otherwise, it's sort of hard to just... It's sort of unfathomable. And so you try to understand, like, what is it that's driving them to want to deny this? What are the fears that are underlying that kind of um, sort of diatribe? And so I think those are things that are really important for us to look at as a society so that we can, you know, talk about some of these kinds of issues so that there's... um, these kinds of fears don't sort of overly kind of dominate so that they get then articulated in these kinds of ways. Yes, and here's your opportunity, um, you know, to even educate your friends and others who are not educated by going to this exhibit right now at the Andy Warhol Museum because I, you know, must emphasize how important this is to, you know, see this and remember what can happen with when that search for being perfect, you know, goes too far. And, and it is horrifying to think about, but one thing for all of you listeners to remember is that if you want one of your friends to hear this show, remember, on BenderConsult.com and on VoiceAmerica.com, this show is archived, so you'll be able to go back and listen to it forever. Uh, and I would recommend that, you know, if, you, if you're interested in this subject, you know, pass it on, email it to your friends. But if you're anywhere in the area where you're able to go to this Andy Warhol Museum, go see this uh, exhibition um, that originated at the United States Holocaust Museum. I'm sure that it, too, will cause you to think about so many things going on right now in our own disability community. That's why I think it's so important. Uh, Jessica, I wanted to I wanted to tell you that I ask everyone on the show. I ask them these last two questions. Uh, everyone that's been on for the past three years. And the first question I ask is uh, about your own accomplishments. Obviously, when I read your bio, I was so impressed with your 
accomplishments and your academic achievements. But I wanted to ask you, you've accomplished so much already in your life. What are you the proudest of today? Well, I think that it's a very difficult question to to answer, and I sort of as a it's you know it's hard to pinpoint just one thing I think, and so you know perhaps I might say that I feel very fortunate in a way that I've been able to be very engaged in the work that I do, and also to try to perhaps be a, as responsible as I can be by bringing some of these issues um, to to the forefront in the work that I do and trying to find ways to engage community, engage critical dialogue, to really look at these issues so that we can perhaps um, hopefully really generate and improve our own kind of civic world and life. And I think the more engaged we are, the more uh, alive we are. And I think that's really an important thing. And I think I hope that I've played some small role in being contributing to kind of creating the opportunities for that. Well, that is outstanding. Um, before I go to the next question, I have to ask you something separate. Um, in your life when you were growing up, did you have a role model that impacted you to have such a love of the arts? Um, well, I certainly had a series of very um, of great aunts who kind of loved literature and reading, and I grew up in Ireland and um, it's certainly a kind of world and dynamic that really loves, um, in fact, more so the word and language is very sort of traditional in sort of embracing art and poetry and plays. So I think the context and environment is certainly very influential and it kind of expanded for me to sort of bring in the visual arts and, you know, many ways. So that's perhaps sort of the role model of both family and country. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then when you went on in your education, did you have a mentor? Um, well, many different mentors at different points, and I think that's probably true with many people where, you know, at different junctures you have people that are supporting you in your learning. And... Um, so I wouldn't point to one great mentor, but there's definitely people that have really helped me along the way. And I'm asking you that because if there are people listening to the show today, uh, young people with disabilities that are right now you know, in their education, specifically interested in the arts uh, or educational art, you know, I'm wondering how important you feel it is for them to have a mentor you know, as they're moving forward. Well, I think, I mean, we all hear stories of how important, you know, good teachers are. And I think it's about, you know, people supporting you. Uh, you know, I think, you know, mentors can be a variety of different things. And I think one of the things that's really critical is having someone to listen, to engage, to trust you, to support you in your experiments and your interests and to really kind of help you along the way. Um, they may not be the expert in the field that perhaps you might be interested in, but to really have a, someone that kind of is supportive of you being who you are is the, perhaps the best. All right, and Jessica, what message would you like to leave today with our listeners? Well, I couldn't think of perhaps, uh, I would just hopefully people will get an opportunity to see this exhibition, um, if not hopefully on one of the other venues of the tour, it goes to Atlanta next, um, so hopefully it can be an opportunity to really engage um, some good discussion. 
Well, thank you, and Jessica, thank you for joining us. I end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and today it is from the author Edwin Black talking about eugenics, who said, after reviewing thousands upon thousands of pages of documentation and pondering the question day and night for nearly two years, I realize it comes down to just one word. It was more than self-validation and self-certification of the elite. It was arrogance. How true that is. Make sure you go to the Andy Warhol Museum to see this very powerful exhibition, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race. You've been listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability does matter on voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.